Welcome everyone to episode 6 of Ohio Unsolved. I'm your host Matthew, and I've got some news to start us out today. The official Patreon for Ohio Unsolved has launched with this episode. I have three subscription tiers to choose from. The first is called Spectre. It's $3 a month, and it gets you my undying gratitude and a shout-out on the episode and credit as an executive producer. The second tier is called Poltergeist. It's $5 a month, and you get everything from before, early access to each episode, they'll be available the day before starting in December, and one bonus episode a month until I'm able to do this full-time then it will be upgraded to one bonus episode a week. The final tier is called Demonic. It's $10 a month, and you get everything mentioned, plus a one-time printed-out copy of an episode script from a previously released episode of your choice, and bonus videos from paranormal locations in Ohio that I visit. I, t- I plan to start those after the first of the year. There is a link in the description if you'd like to join and help keep this podcast going. Also, come join us on Facebook and Instagram for all the news and announcements for this podcast. Links in the description for both. Now let's move on to the episode. Make sure to lock those doors and windows and get ready for Ohio Unsolved. Our first story takes us up to Cleveland, Ohio, to hear about a serial killer called the Cleveland Strangler. The story does include sexual assault, so listener discretion is advised. Anthony Edward Sowell, better known as the Cleveland Strangler, was a serial killer and rapist who brutally killed 11 women. He was born and raised in East Cleveland to a single mother, Claudia Garrison. He was one of seven children, and after the death of their mom, Anthony's sister, seven more kids moved in. His nieces and nephews were subjected to abuse at the hands of their grandmama. On one occasion, Sol's niece was forced to strip naked while her grandma beat her with an electrical cord until she bled. He then began raping his 10-year-old niece almost daily for two years. It was also reported that the other males in the house would sometimes join in the rapes as well. On January 24, 1978, 
at age 18, Sowell joined the Marines. He served for seven years and was discharged on January 18, 1985. It's reported that he received several medals, including one for good conduct. It's a shame that couldn't continue past the Marines. In 1989, a woman who was three months pregnant was attempting to leave Sowell's home. She was bound on her hands and feet with a necktie and a belt. She would later tell the police, He choked me real hard. I thought I was going to die. Sowell was arrested and charged with kidnapping, rape, and attempted rape. He pled guilty to the attempted rape and was sentenced to 15 years. He was then released in 2005. He would work in a factory until 2007 when he started collecting unemployment benefits. Shortly after his release from prison, he began dating Lori Frazier, the niece of the Cleveland mayor. After moving in with Sol, she began to notice a foul odor in the home. She said that it smelled like decomposing bodies, but Sol said the smell was coming from his stepmother. Lori then moved out in 2008. In September of 2009, Sowell invited Latundra Phillips to his home for a drink. Then on September 22nd, she went to the police to file a report. She told the police that after a few drinks, Sowell became angry and hit and choked her. He then began to rape her as she passed out. On October 29th, the police go to his home with an arrest warrant, but he wasn't there. They were able to locate and arrest him two days later. After the police enter his home to search, they stumble upon a gruesome scene. The bodies of two women were found buried in a shallow grave in the basement. Four more were found on the third floor of the house inside of a crawl space. After digging in the backyard, they discovered the remains of three more bodies and the partial remains of a fourth. A human skull was also found in a bucket, bringing the official body count to 11. Sowell also raped three other women that he lured to his house promising to smoke crack with them. At the time of his arrest, Sowell was 50 years old and he was being held on a $5 million bond. His trial was set to start on June 10th, 2010, but it was delayed multiple times. First, it was moved to September 7th to give his attorneys time to prepare, then to February 14th, 2011, then to May 2nd, because his attorneys needed more time to go through the thousands of documents and the hours of surveillance footage from the business located next to Seoul's home. The trial then officially began on June 6, 2011. On November 5, 2009, the first two of his victims were identified. The first was Tanya Carmichael, a 53-year-old woman who was reported missing more than a year earlier. Her body was buried in his backyard, and it appeared that she had been strangled. Her mother had reported her missing in August of 2008. The second woman to be identified was 31-year-old Talisha Fortson. She disappeared five months earlier, but her mother didn't report her missing until after she saw the news about Seoul. On November 8th, 
three more bodies were identified. 38-year-old Crystal Dozer, who went missing in May of 2007. This mother of seven was reported missing to the Cleveland police, but they accused the police of not doing enough to try to locate her. 47-year-old Amy Hunter, mother of three, wasn't reported missing by her family either until after the bodies were discovered in the home. And 45-year-old Michelle Mason, she was last seen in October of 2008. She lived in the area where her body was discovered and the police did a full investigation when her family reported her missing. During his trial, Sowell was charged with 11 counts of aggravated murder and 74 counts of rape, kidnapping, tampering with evidence, and abuse of a corpse. He pled not guilty by reason of insanity, but later changed his plea to not guilty. On July 22nd, he was convicted on all but two counts. And then on August 10th, the jurors recommended the death penalty, and on September 14th, he was placed on death row at Chillicothe Correction Institution. That November, Sowell's attorneys would file a notice of appeal with the Ohio Supreme Court stating that he did not receive a fair trial due to the extensive media coverage. The courtroom had been closed to the public during jury selection and that he had received a lousy legal representation. The state would argue that if his Sixth Amendment right was violated due to the closed pre-trial hearing, it would not have affected the outcome of the trial because the evidence against him was so overwhelming. On December 16, 2016, the Ohio Supreme Court rejected his appeal and upheld the death penalty sentence. Then, of May of 2017, he appealed to the U.S. Supreme Court, but they decided not to hear his case at all. After his conviction in 2011, the city demolished his home where the bodies were found due to an outcry from the city. On January 21st, 2021, he began to receive end-of-life care at the Franklin Medical Center in Columbus, Ohio. And then he died on February 8th of an unknown terminal illness, thus ending his wasted life on this planet. It's hard for me to even try and feel sorry for someone after all the evil and vile acts they committed during their wasted life. But I say good riddance to such an evil, evil man. Our next story takes us underneath the city of Blue Ash, Ohio. Deep in some sewers and storm drains is a place that's as famous as it's hard to find. There's no exact location online, so you have to know someone who knows where it is. I'm talking about Satan's Hollow. The tunnels are small and cramped, but they say there's an altar room deep inside that a group of Satanists would hold their black mass and perform their rituals. Many people believe that it's a portal to hell, opened by one of the rituals the Satanists performed. They would sacrifice animals, and some believe even a few people. But those tunnels are so small, it would be difficult to drag someone in there against their will. There are also reports of the tunnels being haunted. They say that you can hear a woman screaming at night 
from deep within the tunnels. Apparitions of unknown people that may have died there or were killed. Floating skulls, and probably the scariest of all, a demon is said to roam the tunnels at night, protecting the altar room from anyone that may disturb it. This evil entity has been said to show itself in human form, but void of all color, appearing like a shadow in the distance, warning any who enter to turn back. The local police deny any kind of paranormal activity and are called out to remove trespassers on a regular basis because it is private property. But that doesn't stop ghost hunters and paranormal groups from going out there to see what they can capture on film. Whatever the truth is about Satan's Hollow, it's definitely a creepy place to visit, and only the bravest make it all the way inside to the altar room. Has anyone listening never been inside? Have you experienced anything while in there? I'd love to hear about it and share it on the podcast. Our final story is about another cryptid in Ohio called the Loveland Frogmen. The first documented appearance of these creatures was in May of 1955. The story told is that a man was driving down a road on the outskirts of town around 3.30 in the morning. The road runs along the Miami River, and according to the story, the man saw three figures huddled together on the side of the road. He didn't know if they were dangerous or just stranded due to their car breaking down. He pulled his car over to see if he could offer some help. What he saw next scared him for life. He would describe them as three to four feet tall with greenish brown leathery skin and webbed hands and feet and very frog-like faces. The next and possibly strangest part of this whole encounter is the biggest of the three after seeing the man raise something that looked like a stick or a wand and it began to shower sparks on the three frogmen. Seeing this, the man promptly drove away and headed for the local police station. The first encounter could probably be reduced to nothing more than a man high on drugs or drunk if it wasn't for the others. On March 3rd, 1972, an unnamed police officer spotted one himself. He reported that he saw a three foot tall frog standing on the side of the road. When the creature saw him coming, it hopped on its back legs over the road and then dove into the Miami River. Two weeks later, a second police officer saw the same creature. He was driving down the same road as the first officer when he saw what looked like a large animal carcass in the middle of the road. He pulled over to remove it when the creature suddenly leaped into the crouching position. Scared by what he witnessed, the officer fired his gun, hitting the creature. It then hopped a guardrail and dove into the river. Four more times that year, frogmen were reported along the same stretch of road, jumping over the guardrail and diving into the river whenever a car would approach it. Many people think that it's all been a hoax, 
or maybe just a large lizard that escaped from its owner. This small city in Ohio is the only place in the world where these creatures have been reported. Whether they're real or not, I certainly want to encounter one at night. And unfortunately, there's not a whole lot of information about the frogmen online. I would have loved to have made this section longer, but there's just not much information out there because of the few sightings. Well, that's all the stories I have for you today. If you're on Apple Podcasts, please rate and review. I would love a five-star rating because it helps others find the podcast and helps it grow. Don't forget, my Patreon is launching today with three tiers to choose from. All money will go back into the podcast to help make it better for everyone. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram and join the Ohio Unsolved Facebook group. Also, if you have any stories about your own paranormal experiences, please send them to me at ohio underscore unsolved at yahoo.com. Links for everything in this episode description. With all that said, remember to keep your doors and windows locked and stay ready for Ohio Unsolved.